Hey, I'm Mike Myers, and this is the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, which is geared to support songwriters and producers to gain confidence and turn pro. I bring on industry experts to help you improve and monetize your skills, engage better in the writing process, and build healthy habits to create a sustainable career that you love. Caffeinated, inspirational, conversational. Can we just agree music is a bunch of highs and a bunch of lows, not just sonically, but also experiences. It can be all over the map. And I think this week's guest, uh, Liz Shaw, is a perfect example of this. Now, I love his podcast, Recording Studio Rockstars. My friend Jed got me onto it years ago. Now, not only does this dude have a Grammy, but he's been at the forefront of fighting for Nashville studios, especially for people that operate out of their home to keep their studios and keep their business running because the city was like, hey, I think we need to stop that. But no, he took to it and he was like, no, we're, we're going to fight this. So we're going to get into all this. So we're going to do a deep dive right now. Episode number 68, Journey to Music, Highs and Lows. Liz, I found out about you years ago from my friend Jed. He was like, dude, you should check out this, uh, you know, this podcast called Re Recording Studio Rockstars. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, and I love because it was just a deep dive into the process because this was like, I don't know, maybe like 2017, 2008. It was somewhere around there or 18. I was diving through. And I think it was uh, the first episode I heard was like, I remember I was a huge fan of Cartel, the band. You talked to Will and his studio uh, stuff, yeah. and you were going through the whole process. And I was just like, and I was like, that was so cool. And and then I just started listening every week. And then I started kind of like, ah, oh, I wonder what he does. And I your studio in East Nashville, it's been there. And just your entire journey. I was like, ah, oh, you seem like just a cool dude that has like amazing Thanks, stories. Man. So now I have a podcast and I'm like, let's bring you on. And now that I'm a Nashville resident, I'm like, let's talk, let's talk shop. And I'd love to know, especially your journey, because I think when people get into recording, the journey to get there isn't like a straight and narrow journey. It's like a very windy, like they're here for a little bit, they do this, and then suddenly they get into recording. But was it was there always a fascination with you with the concept of recording? Oh, well, let's see. I mean, um, you know, for me, like anybody, it was sort of some music lessons as a kid and stuff like that. My yeah. parents put me in Suzuki when I was four years old and I was going, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. What was the song we saw? I have to learn Mississippi hot dog. And it's just like, you know, yeah. Um, cut a hole through your eardrum. But I do remember the first time I got interested in recording was probably as technically like when my cousin and my brother and I um, were driving across country and my, my, parents would throw us in the back of a pickup truck on on top of an old mattress that was back there and we drive all the way across you know no seatbelts, nothing um for two totally safe yeah two it's absolutely it's <laughs> absolutely fine two days and then we had one of those classic um you know 1970s panasonic cassette recorders that was yeah, like yeah. A, you know you'd lay it flat down on the table and it had a handle you could carry it on it and you could record on it so that was the first time i ever actually recorded anything and and we would sit around in the back of the back of the pickup truck and like make up songs while we're driving across the country we just press record and then we'd like make up a song lyric and and of course they were all yeah. songs like i'm waiting for you on track nine you know stuff like that <laughs> 
but that was that's probably technically it but then of course like when i went to high school um we were really lucky i was going to high school in massachusetts and our music teacher had come from berkeley and then started teaching at this school that i was at and he took yeah. there was a classroom for school and then there was a theater off from that and then off of the classroom was really a utility closet and he had them install a glass window in there for a control room window and he converted that closet into a little four track recording studio that's amazing and that was in the 80s so yeah. so i you know got to take a class in there and he actually had us do stuff like learn how to record onto um quarter inch reel to reel tape and we did something that was called music concrete where you would decide that you were going to record maybe three or four different sounds and you know i recorded like running water and the sound of a ping pong ball dropping on a table and i don't remember what the other ones were you know a bell or something like that and then we had to plot out we'd figure out what the speed of the tape was and how that would measure out in like little increments of time and then we would plot it out on a graph and we'd compose a piece of music that was rhythmic and we cut out one inch of tape if it was like whatever if it was a um, I'm gonna screw up the math. If it was 30 inches per second, then I guess we would, you know, record the tape into 30 bits, and then that'd be like, you know, how many beats per minute that is? Whatever. I wasn't in math class. I was in fun class. You know, now you know, you know, somebody throws something from GarageBand, they sample it out, and they just drag it out, and then they adjust it. But like that, even just the concept of making you be like, hey, here's some inanimate objects go create something musical out of that and not think like, oh, I can only make rhythm stuff with a drum or with a tambourine, yeah. but the idea of like these really out of the box things, which really apply, you know, especially long-term when you record, like you have to do a lot of out of the box thinking about like when you're producing stuff, it's not always gonna be the, these four instruments. It's gonna be everything out, outside of that too. Yeah, I mean, technically we were making beats. Yeah. Cause that's exactly what we were doing. Yeah. We were cutting these up into rhythmic patterns and then re re-splicing the tape together yeah and then you'd play it and you were like your mind was blown you'd hear like water going to ping pong balls going to other things and back again and it would create these rhythms and it and that was sort of my introduction to it and then we learned how to you know operate the four track recorder and you know um i think we learned some really basic music um theory so it was sort of i remember thinking like oh wow i didn't know there was like a logic to how songs went together and i was like cool i'm gonna take that class you know that's amazing too that early on that you had something like that i think of like in high school they barely had it i i remember it was like oh you can't use this i think it was the early 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 days of some form of logic or garage band and it was just like oh you can't take it because you have to take algebra or like this and i'm like oh <laughs> like, like, no, i can't use logic because i don't know algebra <laughs> yeah it's just like this doesn't make sense and it's just like uh, but that is such a cool opportunity, especially early on to get exposure that way. And also kind of ignite this thing of like, oh, this intrigues me. Yeah. And I think that was my junior year. Yeah. Because um, I, I I was at a different school for the first two years. And mm -hmm. they politely asked me not to come back to that school after two years. So <laughs> then I ended up at a really cool school. Oh, the that's first it. one was like a military academy, like the crazy oppressive place in, in uh, Connecticut. But um, <laughs> but it was fun, you know, and then and then that kind yeah. of sparked an interest for me in music. And by the time I was a senior, um, my uncle taught me, 
he was a guitar player. So he was kind of like the singing cowboy, you know, and that's, that's what he knew how to do. And he'd sing songs on the porch at our family summer reunions. Yeah. And I always heard him sing it. And then I picked up a guitar and he showed me, um, I guess he saw that I was curious and he was like, he's like, Lidge, let me show you the first, um, three chords. These are the three chords you need to know. And I'm trying to get the camera there. There you go. Three chords you need to know. And then you'll be able to play a song. So I was like, oh, cool. Awesome. So he showed me E, A, and B7. There we go. <laughs> I was like, all right, the 145. <laughs> of course, I didn't know that back then. You seem to have also had people around you showing you just like the nitty gritty of the thing too it's just like the teacher that was like cool let's just dive in let's start recording it's you know yes explaining it but also showing you okay now start to, the application i think yeah it's really cool that people were just like cool now start using it yeah. start applying it and just that di deep dive is so good now it was great and and so you know then i came remember coming home from that summer trip and you know, my, my parents were in, you know, split at that point in my life and I had two different houses. And so I was on the trip with my mom and I came back and it was time for my birthday and later in the fall. And my dad uh, must've asked my mom was like, you know, like, uh, what's Elijah into these days, you know? And <laughs> Cause Lidge is short for Elijah. And so she must've told him I was playing some guitar. So for my birthday, he took me down to the local music store and I got a beat up old nylon, um, silver tone nylon string guitar that mm. some, it looked like somebody had punched in the front of it and then they had glued it back together. <laughs> it was like 80 bucks or something, <laughs> but it was awesome. You know? So yeah. I, I, I got that and I started just banging out chords and like, mm -hmm. you know, once I had a few chords, that's all I wanted to do is just beat the crap out of my guitar and just play rhythm, you know, play chords all night long. And I remember my stepdad telling me, you know, one in the mornings, like, um, it's getting kind of late. <laughs> we got to go to bed on a school night. I was like, sorry. I did, it was the same for me. I think, you know, especially the, to me, cause that's the timeline. I think it was around junior or senior year. I was really starting to get interested in guitar. Like I really, I think it sat there. They got it one year and it just like, but like there was something that was like, okay, I want to start playing songs because naturally the next progression is, and I'm curious for you if this is the same. Okay. If I'm playing songs, I have to be in a band. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I didn't even know about bands to be honest. Okay. I just, I just thought it was cool. I mean, I was into music and I was, mm -hmm. I was discovering Jimi Hendrix, you know, sort of my, I think sophomore year, I had a friend at the first school I was at and he had this great record collection. So he introduced me to like, the Eagles and and um, David Bowie and some of these really classic albums. Then classic rock was big at the end of my college mm -hmm. years. You like we had radio stations in Boston that were called classic rock, you know. And so you're all of a sudden I'm listening to Jimi Hendrix and you know just all the all the classic rock stuff, Eric Clapton and things. And I, and also a big discovery for me was my brother and I would go down to. Um, you know, we'd go into, we had Leechmere. That was the place up in Boston. That was like the um, department store that also had a whole stereo section. Mm -hmm. And we'd go straight to the stereo section. We'd look at all these stereos and jam boxes were big at the time. Um, and, you know, of course, this is the 80s. So, so um, rap music was really sort of, and hip hop was making its, it had been around, but it was making its appearance, you know, with, um, private school kids up in Massachusetts, yeah. for example, you know, <laughs> like myself and my brother. <laughs> so, so we, we wanted to go, you know, check out the jam boxes and stuff and we'd go around and we would 
see which ones looked really cool. And the ultimate test for which one was really like super special yeah. was um, you'd go up, we called it the eject test and you'd go up to the cassette thing and you'd press the eject button. And if it went like this, if it went here, let's see if I can get my hand on it. If it went clunk like that, yeah. then you're like, oh, that's a cheap one, man. That must be, a, I, can I swear on this show? I don't know if yeah, I Yeah, you can swear. You can fucking <laughs> say whatever you want. <laughs> that must be a piece of shit. <laughs> well, so, it's true because it, it, like the ones that go slow. Exactly. I had one. You, it's like, it's very elegant. It's almost like it's just, and it's just like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so we found one and we pressed it and it was like, and we were like, oh my God, that's so fancy. That's that one cool. has got to be so awesome. That really sounds great. You know, yeah. we, didn't, we didn't even listen to it. <laughs> but but the one that we found had a cassette in it that I guess they had in the store for demoing the music and stuff, you know, de or demoing the, um, the, yeah. the jam boxes. And I pressed play on it and out came this music that was like crazy sounding. I was like, what in the world is that? And it was don't eat the yellow snow by frank zappa it was apostrophe somebody had put yeah. apostrophe on this cassette and that was the demo in the store and i was like oh my god that's amazing yeah and then as we were leaving i was just like <laughs> i was a bit of a tr i told you i got kicked out of a school before this right so i looked left and i looked right and i was like i was like i'm just gonna borrow this cassette and take that's it it. you just borrowed it because it was just you know you know it, it's okay yeah so so anyway that was sort of yeah. my introduction to frank zappa and how i discovered him and i just became a super fan of that but I, one of the really silly things about that is that there was on the flip side of the cassette there was also um a song called werewolves of london yeah. by Warren Zevon. And I had no idea it was by Warren Zevon. I thought it was an extra track on apostrophe by Frank Zappa. <laughs> so for the longest time, I thought Frank Zappa had it had done Warren, um, uh, Werewolves of London and it was on apostrophe until like years later. <laughs> That's interesting too, because then you're diving into like, again, like there is something about that particular, the sound, the arrangement that's just like grabbed your ear. That's like, what is this? And and it's just great. Pulling, that's what it is. Yeah. And it's just pulling you in even more. So at this point, did you, you know, after high school, was it like, I'm going to go towards music or did that veer off to like, okay, I'm going to go to school and then figure out like what I want to do. Yeah. So I still was not very serious about music. I was having fun doing it, Yeah. but it was, you know, was, I'm already a senior. It's already time to look for colleges. You know, I think, I think my dad was probably like, um, I'm not so sure Elijah really knows what he wants to do with life at this point yet. And so, uh, or, or, you know, maybe he thought he seems to be a little bit of a wayward, you know, journeyer. And so he had me go in and take a test, uh, you know, this official Johnson O'Connor research test, which actually sounds like a lyric out of a Frank Zappa <laughs> song. And so I went and I took the test and they were like, they're like, you're, you know, you, you did good in um, musical stuff. You did good in, um, you know, like technical kind of things. They said, you'd probably be good at music engineering or, um, and art. And I thought at that time I was like, I was like, well, I do like the engineering and the science stuff. I'm not really very good at music. So that can't be a thing. You know, I, I hadn't mastered any instrument or anything by yeah. that point. And art was cool, but my mom was a fine artist and I didn't see that as my direction. So they recommended architecture and I was like, all right, I'm going to go, I'll, I'll pick architecture. What the hell? 
<laughs> so I ended up going to college for architecture school in St. Louis. Oh. And, um, and that okay. was great. It was a great, fun introduction. Um, but I, you know, I, I went into school there and now they have more of a music program than that they, they did back then. Back then they had a music program, but it was really just classical. And now there's mm -hmm. like, there's like jazz, there's synthesizers, there's sort of pop production, things like that. Yeah. So while I was in school studying architecture or try or being told to turn in my homework for architecture and maybe not really doing it. Um, I was having a lot of fun playing in bands and, um, and, you know, maybe halfway through college, I realized that I wasn't so sure I wanted to do, like, I might be more interested in music, but at that point I went over and looked and I was like, I don't, I don't see myself, you know, being Andres Segovia and like playing a classical guitar. Um, although I kind of wish I had tried it. <laughs> uh, and, and so I stuck it out with architecture. Yeah. And, yeah. And so really I did my first, you know, four years of college. I mean, I was 23 and finished college and had really had fun playing in bands, but had no idea that that was like even an option for me at that point. I didn't, I didn't yeah. really know music was an option. All this stuff that we do and take, yeah. you know, well, it's funny because on. like, it depends. Sometimes people think it's just like, oh, that's a cool thing, but they don't know that it's a very viable option sometimes. Yeah. And so they, you know, they go to school. It's funny. You met, you went to school. I, you know, I went for one year for college because my parents were like college. And I'm like, okay, I don't <laughs> know. I have no idea what the hell I want. This seems very irresponsible. I'm saying my name's Talones. I don't know if I can pay these. <laughs> and so it's yeah. fine. And it was but at the same time you're saying I, and that's when i started to play in bands and i was like i, I kind of like this thing yeah. this thing but especially i know i you know when i taught guitar you know the first couple of years i had one student that she was in architecture and i remember when she graduated she then went on to take all these next steps and these next steps and these next steps to like get certified because she works for this company and it's like there's like even when you graduate there's still so much more that needs oh, to big happen time. Our, yeah our that's one of those professions where they say you you study and you learn and then you work and work and work and work and by the time you might get to make your first building is when you're 50. and which is funny because now that i think about it it's like it's like the flip side of music like yeah when you're in music it's like you better be hustling by the time you're about 16 or 17. <laughs> you know? at least you know it seems that way sometimes because you know people have these superstar careers in their 20s yeah. and then by the time you're 50 you know you're in vh1 behind the music and that's a whole different story <laughs> but but so so you know in architecture one of the things I, I like to point out is in architecture they talked about how architecture is considered to be frozen music and when i finished architecture and i had loved playing in bands i had a chance with a buddy he was like hey man let's go let's go travel you know europe and stuff after school um, yeah. for our next thing and i was like that sounds good you know so i threw on a backpack traveled around europe on a train for a couple of months worked in london for a couple of months and then um and then my brother was living he was actually doing his junior year of college he had decided he was going to go to the farthest away, you know, study abroad, and he was going mm -hmm. to go to the farthest place he could think of. So he went all the way to Hong Kong University for his junior year. Oh, and wow. at this point, he was already, he had sort of caught the bug with me for music, but he had taken it serious and said, I'm going to go study piano in, in college. Mm -hmm. And so he called me when I was in London and he was like, he was like, hey, dude, I got a wacky idea. Um, 
I joined this, I, I got a job at the jazz club in Lang Kwai Fung in downtown Hong Kong. And then I met this guy who's got a blues band and now I'm playing drums in the blues band and it's called Blue Whale. And, um, <laughs> and we need a guitar player. So you wanna hop on a plane and come to Hong Kong and play guitar in this band with me? So I was like, um, I thought about it for a second. I was like, um, okay, let me think about it. But I, <laughs> but I think that sounds pretty good. And so within a week, I um, canceled, I quit my job, I quit my two jobs in London. I canceled um, my lease on my apartment and I said goodbye to my girlfriend. Sorry, Andy. <laughs> and I hopped on a plane with no money. I just put it on an American Express card and yeah. flew across the world to London. I mean, excuse me, to, to Hong Kong. And I had no idea what I was going to do other than I was going to play in this band with my brother. And, um, and then I played for a half a year there and just played in a blues band. And that was like the first time I got a chance to really get schooled in music. I really like yeah. played constantly. We were having like five gigs a week. And um, I can tell you one thing is for certain. I really sucked at blues guitar at that point in my <laughs> life. That was like, I really needed the schooling, you know. But I learned a ton and it was so inspiring and educational and just like, yeah. It's the woodshed experience. It is the sort of the best experience is you doing the thing. And for every screw up and everything, that's just a mental note you make of like, cool, I, well, that's a little thing that I've learned. And that's what's interesting. I think that's what keeps either people, they either keep on going or that's where they stop. Like if they screw up, they go like, oh no, like I messed this up. I should stop now. I guess I'm not meant to do it. But then there are others that go like, oh, I fucked up. Okay, and, cool. Well, let's just keep on going. You know, and I might have been, I, I mean, not I might have been, I was lucky. So yeah. I know that there are a lot of people out there who might have had that kind of experience. But, um, and in fact, I have friends who went through that, who um, had so much either internal or like family pressure to go get a money-making job that they just couldn't stay that kind of music band course yeah because they would have had to go get a real job somewhere mm -hmm. um i had the option to come i guess i just didn't care i mean i was just <laughs> like whatever this is fun I, I never really sort of cared what anybody thought about it and uh and when we were in hong kong we we did a songwriting contest and the singer wrote this song that went it was just like the the um uh kuwait in um, war at that at that point, um, you know, 91. And so, um, so William wrote this song, and he was like, and it, it was like, gah, 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 on guitar, and he was like, no, more, war, no, more, war. No, he was British. Yeah. No, more, <laughs> war. And, uh, and so anyway, we, our song won this contest. And so we got to go into um, a studio in Hong Kong to go record like a, a you know, pro version of it. Yeah. And that was my first time where I was really in a studio. Um, I'd been in studio, a studio before, but this is the first time I was really like paying attention. I was like, okay, this yeah. is really cool. There's like, I dig all these lights and I see the tape machine and the console in front of me and all this stuff. And um, actually, in fact, I think when I had been in a studio before in St. Louis, I was in an ISO booth. And so mm. I think that's really, now that I'm saying it out loud, I think that's the difference. This is the first time I was in a control room and I was like, yeah. oh, look at all this stuff. This is cool. Look at that mixing console, you know? And so I mentally decided while I was sitting there, I was like, when I go back to the US, I want to go find a school to learn how to do this. And I'm just going back to school again. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's kind of nutty. But it's just like you... 
like you entertain the thing you try but then like you, you go out to hong kong you're doing the thing you're in that moment where you're just like and it seems like no matter what point from all those situations music just was subtly there regardless if it was a thing it just didn't go away it's just like at that point the voice was loud enough that you were like no i gotta this is the thing yeah. i have to do this thing yeah i think it helped that i had recorded um with my bands back in st louis before mm -hmm. going on this you know world trip and so i had had a chance to go in and like i have a had a band at the time in college um we're still playing music together today actually i'm still playing music with these guys 30 30 years later although we don't have the exact same band it's just like same people doing different stuff yeah. but we had we had a band in college that was called enormous richard <laughs> which is one of those college names you give bands you know <laughs> and um and it was f super fun and i got to play banjo and fiddle in that band and yeah. and um later on some electric guitar and stuff but we had gone in to go take a ton of songs it was a very prolific band so we had like 30 songs at the time and we went in and we set up a live to two track uh we didn't actually set up it was a buddy of mine who's now been on my podcast and is also my label now but megan set up um he he was a live guy and so he just brought all this stuff set it up in a basement of a house where we could set up with the band and so he had this mixer going and then he just had it all running down to a cassette and so we recorded our record it was just live performances like we didn't even know yeah we weren't even going to do overdubs or anything so we just did live performances down to cassette and um and did a 30 song record called um enormous richard's almanac 30 country hits <laughs> and so when i was in hong kong i, I think maybe they sent me the printed copy of the tape while i was in hong kong that's sort yeah. of what reignited it for me too um so i was sitting on a rooftop of this um you know 30-story apartment building we lived lived in and just listening in headphones in a walkman back sony walkman back in the day with the cassette you know and just listening to our music and so that like the reason i'm telling that story is it just gave me that experience of like recording yourself with the band having that yeah. whole band in the studio experience and then seeing it come out and listening to it and that just ignites this this passion for recording i mean i think if recording was just a technical thing we did yeah it'd be like it might be a bit of a snooze fest you know yeah <laughs> i think if it, it, it's just interesting everything based on that experience and then that causes you to go like okay when i go home i'm headed back i'm gonna go to school i'm gonna take this recording seriously where did you end up going? Is that how you found to Nashville, like, or like slowly came to Tennessee? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Twenty six minutes into this interview, <laughs> um, so I ended up going to uh, to first. I went to Berkeley, yeah, and I and I did an interview, and I was like, "Hey, I'm interested in this recording stuff," and they said, "Great, you need to sign up and and pay the tuition and and do the classes." And I was like, "Cool, how much is the tuition?" And and then they told me, and I was like gulp um well i'm not gonna be able to do that so do i have any other options and they said yeah there's a, there's a magazine that comes out regularly called mix magazine yeah. and once a year they do a colleges special and it just came out so go pick it up on the newsstand so i, I left berkeley walked across the street to a, um, a newsstand got mix and opened up the back and they had like a hundred or 50 or whatever it was it was a ton of music uh, recording schools yeah. all across the country surprisingly you know you you think of there being a lot now 
Um, but back then there was there were still quite a few if you look for it. So MTSU was in that list down here in Nashville, uh -huh. and they had just built a new recording facility. It was like a $20 million building with, with a SSL console and Studio A. It was yeah. really nice. They had a MIDI lab. They had like a um, they even had, excuse me, a video animation lab where you could learn to do like really ru rudimentary video animations and the computer. Um, they were a lot harder back then than they yeah, are today. <laughs> and Dude, uh, that's crazy. MTSU, I didn't know my free spot. Like, you know, that's like, that's awesome. Yeah. And so, but the, the, the clincher was it was a state or it is a state university. And so if you, were out of state, it was one tuition, but if you were in state, it was different. So I was like, well, why don't I just move down to Nashville and hang for a little bit? And then I'll like, you know, sign up for school for next year. Cause it was like, perfect. Yeah. So I did that and I get, became an in-state resident. And then tuition was, um, $700 a semester for like full 21 course hour <laughs> load so like you know what what is seventy thousand dollars now was probably like 700 bucks at that point you know i actually i take that back mtsu is is not seventy thousand dollars now but but some that's still up. that's still a you know that's a pretty good deal for that especially for the facility that was built and so did you just dive in headfirst to just like the whole process Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the thing was, when I went to school for that, it was the first time in my life that I was going to school because I wanted to and because it was something I wanted to do. Yeah. So it was like a completely different experience for me. I was so passionate about recording and music and soaking it all up. Like I was so excited to learn this stuff. All I wanted to do was hang out with my friends and talk about music and, and recording and, and join bands and play. And so I ended up being part of this community down there for, you know, two and a half years that turned into a kind of a, a, a bit of a who's who of music in a way, mm -hmm. um, you know, because members of my class um, now own studios here in, in Berry Hill, multiple studios, um, you know, they're Grammy winners. It's just yeah. like, there are so many people that I knew back then that went on to become superstars in music and just really do incredible things. At one point I had a, I was in a house with roommates where, you know, upstairs was uh, Matt Mahaffey who had the band self um, still okay. does and went on to go like, you know, produce soundtrack music for, um, for Shrek and all these Nickelodeon cartoon networks. And then um, Chris James, who was also in the band Self, who's now, uh, you know, he, he became Prince's engineer and, and is mixing Atmos mixes for, uh, for Fleetwood Mac and stuff like that. Just incredible list of stuff. And, and then my classmates were like Efreed Shippen, who's, you know, oh, all God, over the- really? Okay. Damn. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so like, you know, all these people you see, yeah. see on the internet who are teaching music today, you know? So that was just a lot of fun, you know? Hey, it's Mike, and I just wanted to jump in the middle of this podcast to remind you that we record these live every Tuesday on our YouTube channel at 1 p.m. Central, so you can actually be part of the experience as we're recording this. You get to ask questions as we wrap things up, so you can be part of the whole experience. We've got tons of amazing guests coming up, so just go to youtube.com slash songwritingforguitar to see all the list of guests that we have coming up, and so you can get those reminders, and you can be part of that live 
live taping every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Central. All right, enough of the jib-jab. Back to the episode. You know, you mentioned like, oh, you know, they went on to go win Grammy. You've won a Grammy. Like, you know, it's just like if we're going to drop, you, you, you know, through that, there's a whole lot that happens between then. But, you know, what made you go from, okay, you know, you, you went to school and then setting up your first studio, taking on some of your first clients, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, when I was in school, I remember buying my first piece of gear. I was like, I'm ready to get something for recording, <laughs> you know? So I was like, what yeah. do I want? I was like, well, I got to be able to listen to stuff when I recorded at school and bring it home to my stereo. So my very first purchase was um, now in all fairness, I already had a four track yeah. and I already had a microphone from like years ago, you know, just for, for band stuff. But my first pro piece of gear was a task MDA 30 DAT machine, <laughs> which does not work anymore, <laughs> but it was fun to just like, you know, bring these little tapes back from yeah. school and like play them um, on the stereo at home. And then I think the next thing I got was actually a, um, an oscilloscope because I had I'd started taking electrical engineering oh, wow. as a minor in college. Mm -hmm. And so I figured I learned how to put the Lisa's you pattern on, you know what that is, where it's like you put the X and the Y coordinates onto the oscilloscope and then you can hook it up to the stereo. So you get all these incredible, beautiful, like circles and stuff while you're listening to classical music. It's awesome. That's cool. Totally awesome. But let me keep going forward. I'm yeah, I'll yeah. try not to do the slow train. You got, here. You got it. You got it. <laughs> so I did, I, I started getting that. I finished school when I was done with school. I thought uh, I still, in my mind, like I had no interest in country music I had no interest really in, in Nashville yet. And in my mind, all the cool shit was still happening where my buddies were playing music up in St. Louis. So I was, cause I, I came from that indie, you know, yeah. indie rock background. And so I was like, okay, when I'm done school, I'm going to probably go to St. Louis and go like start a studio up there, start a home studio. And then a buddy of mine had gotten an intern. Um, Chuck Foff was my roommate and he was, he was up here at County Q studios and he was like, dude, this is great up here. You got it. You got to come up and check it out. You know, um, why don't you just come up and be my roommate in my apartment and, you know, try out Nashville first. So I was like, yeah. all right, all right, I'll do it. So I came up and, and lived here and then um, ended up finding a studio called Alex the Great over in Berry Hill with Brad Jones and Robin Eaton. And that was the first time I saw a pro studio where these guys were really making cool music and like, I really liked all the people and I liked the music and it wasn't country. And I was like, all right, all right, <laughs> I can do this Nashville thing. I see Nashville's cool. I just didn't yeah. know it yet. <laughs> and so I did that for a while. And then um, at a point, I guess right about the time it was right about close to 2000 and I'd been working for a bit and I was like, I was getting close to 30 myself, 30 years old. And I was like, all right, it's time to get serious. I think I need to, you know, my brother bought a house and I was like, you know, and he's two years younger. So I'm like, well, if he bought a house, I got to buy a house. So, so I decided I was going to do that. Somehow, miraculously, I was able to buy a house as like a poor ass musician, you know, engineer person. But I, but I had a little, I had enough for the down payment and they still yeah. give you loans back then. And simultaneously, I kind of, somebody said to me that idea of the, the five-year plan. And I was like, all right, what's my five-year plan? And I was like, well, Five years from now, I want to I want to have like a a nice a home studio, a good one, you know, and and be able to. 
I had this idea that I was just going to get up in the morning, grab my coffee and my boxers and go straight to the control room. I don't know why that was a good idea, but I it's an it amazing <laughs> journey to go from that to there. It's like, you know, when people are like, oh, the commute. And I'm like, ah, oh, the commute was rough. There was stuff in the hallway, yeah. but I was able to get here. It's, it's, I don't know. It's a dream. It's awesome. Yeah. And well, now I, I do have, uh, I do have a little bit of a commute. It's longer than the kitchen to the control room. I actually have to go down my driveway across the yard. And when yeah. my commute is rough, that's because I have a cypress tree outside yeah. that creates these pine coney things. And then when the fall happens, they, they explode into sharp little shrapnel and they land all over the, the walkway in the driveway. And I'm, I'm barefoot all the time because I got into barefoot running and you know, like a decade ago. Okay. And so, so oh, it's when it's rough, it's because I'm having to walk across those guys down to the studio. <laughs> oh shit. But oh, so I love that idea of the five year plan because it is, yeah, it's good to think short term, but just like, what do you want to see happen and how do we have to make it happen? What are like the tangible steps to get there? Yeah. And I think that's great, especially for anyone that's like, I don't know if I can do this. It's like, no, where do you want to be? And let's backtrack. Let's because it's it's that that journey of backtracking. And so you you've set up this studio and you know you've made a name for yourself and you've recorded lots of different things and then you won a Grammy. And then what yeah. I'm super curious about because this to me is the like I'm like let's talk about highs and lows. One minute you get a Grammy and it's like probably cloud nine. Like, it was pretty it, awesome. I bought an espresso machine for the studio oh, to celebrate. That's how you should celebrate. You should the celebrate one, with anything fucking caffeinated. That's yeah, the one where you press the button and, and yeah. it just automatically grinds the beans and makes oh. it and spits it into a little cup for you. That's good. I got to ask you, what's your favorite cut? You know, do you have any bean favorite places in Nashville? Like there, there's some like I like slow hand and I like honest. Those are those. Are oh, good. I don't, those both sound good. I don't mm -hmm. I don't know this one so well. Um, uh, Bongo. Bongo. Okay, yes. Yeah is where I've been getting getting beans from. And they have one that is a um, a whiskey barrel roast. Ooh, okay. That's really good. That, sound, that sounds good. So you're celebrating, so it's like you get a Grammy, you buy an espresso machine and yeah, and then out of nowhere, a cease and assist letter to stop, to <laughs> yeah. stop from Nashville. Yeah, so at this point we've, we've zoomed ahead um, to 2000 and, so my studio I opened in 2000, started it in 2005, 2007 is really when I opened the doors and it was ready. Yeah. Worked for a decade, 2015 is when the Grammy came in. And then a month later, I got this cease and desist letter in my mailbox that said, you know, you need to cease and desist operating a commercial recording studio at your home address. Um, you've got 30 days to comply and blah, 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 blah. And then they, they doubled down on that. When I talked to them, they were like, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a home studio, you know, I'm trying to, what do I need to do? And they're like, you need to, I can see that you're making YouTube videos with local bands. You need to stop doing that. And I was like, okay, I stopped, you know? And then they're like, I can see you made one just last night at two o'clock in the morning. I don't believe you. And I was like, I was like, ma'am, we recorded that like months ago and it was scheduled to release last night at two in the morning. You know, yeah. I don't think she understood YouTube. What was their reasoning behind that too? Like, because that seems like so out of all this time, suddenly out of nowhere, it seems so ridiculously dumb. Exactly. It is well said, Mike. <laughs> so 
the thing is, when I was going to school, when I was interning, when I was working for the first decade, yeah, I saw that people had home studios all across Nashville. It's Music City. This is what people did. This, there's, I mean, Jack White won a Grammy with uh, Loretta Lynn, right, from yeah. a home studio right in East Nashville. I mean, it was like there's like multiple Grammy yeah. or winners in done in home studios. So it was very clear that that was a thing to do. And I had absolutely no idea that Nashville, um, maybe they had some version of this before 98, but in 98, they added a law to the books that said you could work from home if you got a special permit, but you couldn't have a customer come to your house. So that meant that all the home studios that were operating, as well as any other home business out there, you know, if you were like teaching piano lessons to people yeah. and they came over for a piano lesson, Nashville was calling that illegal. And so I got caught in the crossfire because somebody apparently was some some dude who's like, um, you know, like, hey, this is Wayne. I, I was trying to, he, he actually called in. The reason I heard him and found out about it was because later on we did we were on television talking about this and yeah. it was a q a thing and this guy calls in and he's like i'm the one who filed the complaint so what happened was he was trying to start a computer repair business and he got like his llc and his business license and then he called city codes to say come do an inspection and i'm, I'm ready to start my um, my computer repair and they said um well you can't do this in your home and he was like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, I, th I thought there were other people working from home. So apparently he thought it was a wise idea. Um, thanks, Wayne, to um, file a complaint against codes. And he's just like, he found my studio on the internet and just like threw me into the complaint letter. And he just what doesn't the even hell, live right Wayne? here. That he's not even like, a neighbor. That's, that's what the... I, that is so bizarre. The number one to be like, well, let me find someone. Oh, this guy right here. Let me just throw this into me. And then suddenly you get in the crossfires of all of this. But what I find again is you had an option and your option was, oh, hell no. Like I am yeah. not going to sit here and just be like, all right, I guess you guys, I'll let this go and I'll, I'll find some other means because like at this point, if we're talking a decade where two, where you have a Grammy, so you've built a name for yourself. It is your primary source of income. It's what you support. It's what you create. Yeah, you got to fight and stand up and, you know, be well, like. Well, plus I'm a single dad. You know, I was yeah. I was supporting my family. I've got a, a daughter who stays with me half the time. And, and you know, I got to I got to put food on the table and I've got to keep a roof over our heads. And this is, you know, like you said, built my, I had moved to Nashville, you know, yeah gosh at this point it was 25 years prior yeah to dedicate my life and career to doing this and then all of a sudden nashville's like yeah thanks very much we appreciate all the taxes but you know we're music city but don't have music here and <laughs> yeah, prefer it not to <laughs> we're music city as long as you're a hotel downtown <laughs> good lord uh, actually i'm not gonna throw hotels under the bus okay. <laughs> you know so I just looked at that. And of course, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It scared the shit out of me at the time. I couldn't yeah. sleep for a week. I was, I was like super stressed out. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I built a, um, a, a better privacy fence. Cause I felt like people were like prying eyes were, you know, coming. You didn't know, I didn't know who, 
you know, called codes and did this thing to me yeah. and all that. So it was very, very stressful. It was really fearful. And then I ended up deciding to talk to the Tennessean, which is the, the big newspaper here. Mm -hmm. And I did an anonymous interview, which, which made the front page to talk about this whole issue. And that caught the attention of the Institute for Justice and the Beacon Center of Tennessee, which are both nonprofit um, property rights and uh, right to work, you know, um, mm -hmm advocacy firms and they reached out to me and they said hey we see what you're going through and we want to help That's so cool. so i i talked to both of them and then i was like hey if you're good at what you do and you're good at what you do and we all want to do the same thing why don't we just all work together on this so i i ended up um really luckily being able to create this uh, uh this super legal team which i i like to refer to as the league of justice <laughs> <laughs> And so I had this great, so th then it was a really different feeling. Then it was like, yeah. okay, I don't have to feel like I, I've done something wrong that I have to apologize for. No. I now, I realize that you can stand up for your rights. I realize that you can, you, you know, you can take a stand when you know that you're in the right and you're just trying to live and survive and, you know, make an honest living. So I worked with these guys and um, do you want the long version or the short version from here we on? We can go. This is it, dude. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Right. I Because I, to me, this is really I, the scenario when I heard it because I had still not we haven't we didn't move to nashville yet but i was watching us it was like this is absurd it was just so insane because it was like of course people have studios in nashville in their home yeah like, come on it's, yeah, there's a reason why there's a word home studio you know it's just it's like if you were in idaho and they were like i can't believe there's potatoes everywhere it's, like, <laughs> it's idaho what do you expect nice well played well played oh well yeah continue i'm i'm i want let's go let's go right, so so the first thing we did was we saw that there was a a little bit of a loophole where maybe i could rezone my property as something called a um a specific plan um, and that's a special zoning uh, exception where you apply for it and do all this stuff. So with those guys, um, I worked through that for a couple of years where we had to go to the Metro Council, had to, had to hire a local lawyer, probably. Um, so I, I was very lucky. They helped fund this. So, you know, but, but they, still they spent, the, you know, there's a good bit of money spent trying to fight this thing. So probably like $20,000 or something like that was spent hiring a local land use attorney, um, going to the council and, and applying for this special, um, special zoning um, plan. And it was an SP. It was a special specific plan. Yeah, specific plan, zoning plan. And then I had to go around the neighborhood. I had to take a petition and get all my neighbors, get like 40 of my neighbors to sign it saying like, no, he's cool with us. You know, we don't mind if he works in his home studio. It's, a, it's okay with us if he changes it. And, um, and we went through that whole thing. And then the city council voted it down and they said, no, nope, we're denying it. We're not going to let you have this zoning change for your place, even though we've approved it for a bunch of other things in the past. And so then we were like, all right, cool. Now you've given us um, the go ahead, the green light that we need to go ahead and file a lawsuit. So in 2017, we filed a lawsuit. Um, I did it with a co-plaintiff. So there's another woman named Pat Rayner, who's a retired hairdresser who was also shut down by the city. So it's, 
you know, me. And also I looked like I was about 80 years old back then when I filed this thing, because I had like crazy long hair and a giant beard and everything like that. And so, you know, here's here's this um, bearded old single dad and uh, and this retired hairdresser. And we filed a lawsuit against the city in 2017 saying um, that you can't shut us down. This is our constitutional right to be able to work from home and make a make an honest living from our home home offices from our home businesses and that lawsuit um has made it all the way to the tennessee supreme court court yeah so we've we've appealed it multiple times and right now it's actually on its way back down to the circuit court mm -hmm. because it's not quite done yet meanwhile meanwhile during that process which involved like more press and podcast interviews and yeah and you know uh articles and tv appearances like now i'm comfortable you know if channel five calls and say we want to come down and talk to you soon i'm like okay cool i'll see you in yeah. five minutes you know <laughs> <laughs> it's just like once you do a bunch of them, you're like all right yeah it's, it's, it'll be fine but uh but that stuff is a little bit scary at first i'll be honest well yeah it's people just being like this thing that you do and then people are like oh, what does he do he owns a studio and it's just like oh okay it's just but yeah. that to me is just it, but then, yeah, you've got all this, and then COVID hits. And right. Then you've got COVID, and everybody's working from home. Everybody's working from home. So that brings us to 2020, that magical year that nobody will oh. ever forget. Nope. And along came a new bill from a local council member, um, and it was this proposal to change the home business law and allow people to specifically have customers come to their house. And I saw that and I was like, holy shit, this is what we've been waiting for. Um, I didn't mention it yet, but back in 2011, they was the actually the first time that anybody was aware of this limitation on home studios. And somebody had they had tried to pass a quote home studio bill, but it failed miserably in the uh, Metro Council. And so when 2020 was here and this new bill came along, I looked at that and I was like, okay, I know from experience that that you got to wait 10 years before they'll try something again. So this is the opportunity. I got to jump behind this bill and make this thing pass. So I decided to essentially make it my full time job in 2020 to push this bill through the yeah. Metro Council. And the first thing I did was start a petition. I was like, all right, I better go, you know, start a petition and see if anybody actually wants this, you know. And I and I went and started one online. And by the time July came around and we were in the, the final hearing for, for the bill getting passed, we had a hundred, I think it was 166,000 signatures on the petition, which was really great because when I was, at the the council meetings at the public hearing and they're like you know we want to hear from the constituents on whether or not people want this and i was like you said you wanted to hear from your constituents all right here it is we printed it out yeah and it was like a huge ream of paper the size of a you know giant yeah. dictionary and i was like clonk right down on the podium and i was like here it is and and along with that too i was like but it's a lot of comments from people so i figured the best way to let you know what everybody wants is to distill it down for you and the best way to do that is to turn it into a song. So I co-wrote a song with Tommy Womack, who's a who's a brilliant songwriter here in Nashville, um, uh, called um, "We uh, Good Goodness." We need to work from home. <laughs> I almost <laughs> forgot the title. Uh, I haven't said it in a minute. But so I played the song 
for the Metro Council at the public hearing. And believe it or not, in Music City, of all places, they said that was the first time anybody had ever played a song for a public hearing statement at the council. So I guess, oh, maybe I should maybe I should approach Guinness Book of World's Records for that one. <laughs> that, that should be a one right there. That's up there. But, but to me, it shows how many people were for, like, it was just like, also for this, because they thought, like, this isn't, a, this isn't okay. Like, it should be. Because this whole thing is just so, it's just like, absurd to me like when i still yeah. hear it and you're walking through this i'm like the fact that you had to make this and like be like hey here are all the people that want it do you not realize it because we're in nashville we're in a music city that's why people moved here yes like oh. the way i see nashville i mean i know there's a lot more to nashville than just us but we are a big deal so let's be honest about it i mean we moved here because it's music city moved here to make music. So many people that I know in Nashville didn't, weren't necessarily from here. They, they grew up elsewhere and, and came here because of music. And then, you know, like, like artists and musicians do in, you know, since the beginning of time in cities is like, they move to an area, it becomes really cool because it's thriving with artists and music. And then it becomes trendy and then it gets gentrified and then rich people move in and they build big rich buildings because that's where everybody wanted to move. And then, and then it's like, don't know, we don't know about these artists and musicians in our backyard. You know, they're, they're playing music. I'm trying to have a, um, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm trying we're to do. We're talking about our stocks right now. And yeah, the we're stocks trying, are very low. Yeah, we're trying, <laughs> talking about our stocks right now. And um, and so, you know, it's absurd you know, to to yeah. to do that. So that's basically what's happened here in Nashville, East Nashville too, you know, and it's like it's really, really important to keep the music and the art thriving and to, you know, stand up for our rights to be able to live here and do these things. But I think what's also is, and I think this goes to you as a creative, as a producer, as an engineer, just this whole thing is that your willingness to figure out a way and be like, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure out something, whether it be a five-year plan, whether it be like, you know what, I'm going to hop on a plane, going to Hong Kong, whether it be like, you know what, I'm going to go to college again, going to MTS. Regardless, it's these conscious decisions of like moving forward and figuring out a way. Yeah. And I think that's the important takeaway for a lot of people. They're like, should I keep on going? There's this pivotal point in so many scenarios where you choose either I'm going to keep on doing this thing or, you know, I'll throw in the towel. I'll be quiet. I I'll had that so many yeah. times. So in a career in music and recording, yeah. there were so many points along my career path where I was like, I had to do an internal review. I was like, yeah. You know, this is tough. I'm not making much money, or I'm I, I'm not sure if I'm succeeding with this. Should I consider doing something else? I mean, at one point, I wasn't necessarily thinking of switching careers, but I thought about moving to New York, mm -hmm. and I went and looked at it because my brother was there. And and when I looked at New York, after I was like, I was like, hmm. I was like, well, I could come to New York, and everything's it's pretty cool, but it's um, significantly more expensive here. And it seems like everybody's making the same amount of money recording music as I yeah. am back in Nashville. So I guess that's not a good idea. <laughs> and then, then other times I was like, should I, you know, think of some other career and go to school for something else? And then after I would think about it, I'd come back to the same conclusion. I was like, no, I should just keep doing what I'm doing. You know? Well, it's even if you did another career, you'd probably be thinking about music. That's the thing too. And yeah. I think people get that where it's like, 
they're doing a thing they're not necessarily always crazy about and they're always thinking about music and it's like well maybe you that and so it's like if that's the thing you ponder about and the thing you care about the most do it but here's the thing about choosing another career and this is for all your listeners if you do choose another career and you're still thinking about music for the first time you're going to get to listen to more than one song over and over and over all day long <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Or it, you're just not going to listen to it. I think the thing for me, I know when I'm here, my fiance will be like, are you going to be melodyming things? Yeah. Can you <laughs> turn on your phones, please? The headphones? Really? Because it's always that same. Hey, I'm, like, hey, hey, hey. I'm like, have I you heard this? Repeated again and again and again. She's like, I, I, can you just put headphones on? I'm kind of tired of hearing that. Fair enough. I get stuck when I'm when I'm melodyning. I get stuck in those moments where like I'm trying to get the work done, but yeah. then when you do the arrow key back and forth, and it just does like, um, it does syllables of each word, and you're like, it's the Bobby McFerrin setting on melodyme that you forget. What is that? It's just like it's all over. Love it, dude. Like to me, again, as I was like, man, was recording. A linear journey was it very, very small. No, it's just like these, these, these twisty, turny, all you know, you know, if the, I don't know if that's a, a dictionary word, twisty, turny, it's, like, it is now, yeah, it, it is of just so many cool stories that I think people need to hear because I think, you know, especially when people are like, I want to do this thing, oh, it didn't happen perfectly the way I wanted it. Oh, yeah, it's not supposed to, it never it's does. gonna be messy. It's Rarely. like songwriting, it's like producing for the first time, it's messy, it's all over the place. But it's an experience that you go like, oh, this is kind of, okay, let's just keep on going. And then from there, a process develops. And then also too, just like in your petition, you find a lot of people that are they're underneath kind of like that support that's like no 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 you got this keep on going yeah keep on going a lot of people feel similarly one of the things about that i've learned about finding people who feel similarly is yeah. you have to begin by putting yourself out there and saying this is how i feel and that could just be your music you know it's like yeah. you have to just make your music you have to take a risk with it um and you have to be vulnerable um, on a certain level and you have to put it out there and then you have to let go of it and realize that the people I already know might not be the people who are drawn to this and, and we connect over this. But yeah. if I put whatever I'm doing, whether it's like saving a home studio or starting a podcast or writing songs, um, if I just put it out there, then somebody who does connect with it has a chance to find it. And then that's how mm -hmm. you like, that's how you connect with people and find find your your peeps dude i love this we're gonna have to do another episode and get into gear this was that we didn't even talk about songwriting yeah, let's do yeah, that yeah i know too. it's just because dude like this sometimes i love those things but the story behind how you get to where you are i find so intriguing because everyone's is different but they're all it's just interesting you know i went to a conference once and i saw one he worked for this company called team one and he puts music to like big brands and i was just like oh dude that's insane and he works in studio and i was like how do you get there and this was 2017 and he goes what's your name and i was like mike he goes mike i could tell you it wouldn't make sense and i was <laughs> like i was like okay i was like it's not the answer i wanted to hear i would like i would prefer and he was like because i and then he just went into detail of cities that he hopped between jobs that he had how it led to this and i was like he goes and what 
you'll notice is the things that you do, it's not going to be straight and narrow. It's going to be all over the place. And that's a good thing. It shouldn't be. He was like, it's totally not an interesting story if things work out perfectly in the beginning. And yeah. I was like, okay. I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll take that to heart. But dude, thanks for hanging out. And if they want to find you, if people are like, okay, I'm intrigued now. I want to know more about Lish. Like, you know, how can they find you? Oh, great. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. This is a pleasure, man. And I totally dig your podcast too. Um, sorry, I got a dog barking out the window there. Hopefully you don't have to hear too much it's of it. It's okay. It's all good. But um, I love songwriting and I love making music and I yeah. love the title of your show that it's specifically songwriting for guitar too. Yeah. Cause that's, that's, you know, for me, that's where it starts yeah. out. So, um, but you guys can find me. Thanks everybody for listening. You can find me in a few different places. If you're curious about my podcast, which is the shirt I'm wearing right here, there it is recording. There studio it is right Rock there. Stars. That is my show. It's, it's, um, Gosh, I think we're right at about 400 episodes now, and it's been going for seven years and yep. 2 million downloads. And that is interviews with producers and engineers and studio musicians, and it's all about making records in the studio, songwriters as well. Um, so that that's probably pretty entertaining for, you, for everybody, and that's at recordingstudiorockstars.com. And then if you're curious, you'd like to check out my studio, that is thetoyboxstudio.com the toyboxstudio.com and that is the studio it's a grammy awarded recording studio it's my home studio here in nashville and i recently um past few years from 2020 started revamping it and so now it's this looks like a spaceship inside and it's been redesigned by carl tatz and it has a phantom focus um, speaker system in there which is lots of fun to listen to so give me a shout if you ever want to come listen to it Oh, I love it, man. Thank you for hanging out with us. I really appreciate it. We'll have you back because there's, there's more to dive into. And let me add one other thing. So yeah. savehomestudios.com is a website mm. I created, which sort of, I just kept a running list of news articles and press and all that kind of stuff around the home studio thing. Plus, I think you could still order a cool t-shirt there with the... Uh, fist pumping in the air holding the microphone there you go i love it we're gonna have all the links in the description so you can check out well man thanks for being here thanks mike great to meet you man and that does it for this week's episode it was edited and produced by chris Fafalius. i'm mike myers thanks for listening